you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to John chapter 3. Uh, just a reminder of you, if you come in and you uh, forget your Bible, there's some on the welcome counter out there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get one too. You can just take one of those. It's not stealing. If you take a Bible from the church, it's yours, and uh, we'll get another one. We have a few. So uh, go ahead and help yourself to that. You can turn to John chapter 3. We got back into our series in John last week. Just a powerful passage uh, in John 3, 1 through 15. And we left off then right before John 3, 16, which is probably the most commonly memorized verse in all of the Bible. If I, well, let's try it right now. I mean, you're not showing off to people around you, but let's, this is good news, and so let's proclaim it together. You may be memorized in a different version, so we might do a couple words differently. That's fine. John 3.16, let's get it. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Excellent. So many of you are like me. Not all of you, and that's fine. Not everybody you know, could, could just recite that. But many of us uh, of all different ages, I saw lips moving, and maybe you were just saying like watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. But I don't know. But many of you, it looked like we're, we're, we're quoting John 3.16. It's a verse that growing up in a family where I had both parents who were Christians is a verse that I learned from a very young age. John 3.16. But here's the deal. I've been a pastor for almost 13 years now. And I am pretty sure, as I think back, that I've never actually, I mean, I've referred to John 3.16 many, many times. I don't think I've ever taught, like opened up the Bible and taught John 3.16 and the verses around it. I don't think I've ever done that in 13 years as a pastor. But that doesn't mean that I've never preached it before. So my parents, like I said, taught me uh, when I was a very young child, John 3.16. So that's, that's not my parents, that's my aunt and uncle. Um, but my parents taught me to memorize John 3.16, and they said I would regularly grab this little Bible that I'm holding there, and anytime I had an audience, uh, which you get a lot when you're the first child who's only two, um, I, I, would, I would take that Bible, and I would open it up, and I would proclaim, I would, if there was something to stand on, I would go stand on it, and I would proclaim the gospel from John 3.16 to anybody who was around me. Uh, and, and a few uh, years ago, I came across a cassette tape, re- that's a cassette tape for those of you that don't know, um, uh, a recording of myself um, quoting John 3.16 when I was two years old. And so I listened to it like, oh, that is super cute. And I'm glad that my parents recorded that. And then it started going. And so I stopped it and I opened it up and the, the ribbon on the tape, uh, tape, they have ribbon, and it was, uh, it was getting eaten up. And, and like, oh, no, I want to preserve this. So I got a dual cassette recorder, and I put a blank one in one side, and I put this one in the other side, and the ribbon had actually torn. And so I had to hit play on it, record on the other one, and I had to pull the ribbon out at the right rate um, so that it was recording uh, from this one to this one. And I, so I have a recording, so you can listen to me preaching John 3.16 uh, when I was two years old. So this is like 35 years ago. And so it's a little bit kind of warbly. Um, but here's, here's Jeremy at 2 preaching John 3.16. John 3.16. John 3.16. I love it, but I don't want any black and 
So, so there's two-year-old Jeremy preaching. So this is one of those passages that I've known for a really long time. And many of you, maybe you don't have a recording of you preaching it, but you also have known it for a very long time, many of you longer than me. And it is such good news. There's a reason that this is one of the first verses that we teach. Kids that have gone through Awana have learned John 3.16 over and over again. There's a reason that we keep coming back to that because you have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, all together there in one verse, John 3.16. But today we're going to look at the fuller context of that. We're going to look at verses 16 all the way through 21. And here's the big idea today, that God loved the world by sending His Son, so that whoever believes in Him will be saved, and whoever does not believe in Him is condemned. And that's what we see in John three sixteen to 21. And so if you're able to, why don't you go ahead and stand, I'll pray, and then we'll read the Word of God together. God, I am just thankful, first of all, uh, that you put me in a family, in a place where I could hear the gospel over and over again. Though it took many years for my heart to be made new, for me to hear the gospel and respond with repentance and faith, I thank you for your faithfulness in putting me in that. And, And I know that that's the case for many who are gathered here today that they have heard this good news that you so love the world that you gave your only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That, That many have heard that news over and over again. And for some, they need to hear it again. Uh, and some maybe in a new way, and some maybe haven't even heard that clearly before because they haven't been given a heart ready to hear it and ears ready to hear. And so, God, I pray that you would be at work by your Spirit now as we prayed last week and as we continue to pray throughout the week that you would cause us to be born again, that we would hear the gospel and respond with repentance and faith. Thank you for this good news. Work in us through it now. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word from John 3, 16 through 21. God's word says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Amen. You can be seated. John three sixteen to 21. In your bulletin, again, there is an outline uh, with some application questions on the bottom as well. We're going to begin by just looking at the first couple of verses. God loved the world by sending His Son. So look at John 3.16 with me and you'll note 
again, you don't even have to look at it for some of you, but you note that whatever version you learned it in, the first word, as far as I know, in every English translation is the word for. For God so loved the world. So it begins with the word for, kind of tying it back to the words that came before it. Now, just a little of context for you. Last week, we were in 1 through 15, and this was Jesus having a conversation with a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews even, a man by the name of Nicodemus. He knew lots of stuff, even knew some things about Jesus, but Jesus let him know that knowing lots of stuff and even knowing some stuff about Jesus was not enough for him to be saved. He needed to be born again. And then Jesus told him in verses 14 and 15 that just as, because this guy would have known the Old Testament really well, so remember he told him that just as in Numbers chapter 21, the, the serpent was lifted up on a pole that all who were sick and dying who would look upon this pole, the serpent on the pole, would be saved. Jesus said, that's what I've come for. I'm the Son of Man who has come to be lifted up so that all who are sick and dying who would look upon me will be saved. And that's how we ended. Now, if you have a Bible that has red letters in it, I think most of the English translations continue the red letters starting in verse 16. Other people are not quite so sure that the, the red letters signify um, the, the words of Jesus. Uh, I don't have a, a Bible that has red letters in it um, because it's all the Word of God, right? And so it's all equally valuable. Um, but, but here, um, some people think, well, this is still Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And others say, Jesus was done talking to Nicodemus at the end of verse 15, and now this is John, the author of the gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying this. Because probably the biggest clue is when Jesus talks about God the Father, Jesus usually says the Father. He doesn't say God. Uh, he, occasionally he does, but most of the time he says the Father. But here, for, either way, whether it's John saying this or Jesus saying this, it's equally true no matter what, right? So, Here's what verse 16 says. For God so loved the world. I want to notice a couple of things. Because here's, again, knowing this verse ever since I was a little kid, when I read that word so, and when I read that word so, I always kind of thought of it as he loved us this much. Like like little kids, you know, when they're getting dressed or or when you when they're just little and they're learning some stuff, it's like, how big are you? So big, you know, like that. Like, so for God loved the world so much. Like, that's the way I always heard it in my mind. Like, he loved us so much that he did this. Where it seems, but the, the way that it's used, that's not the only way we use the word so. That's just the way I assumed it was in my mind. But even some of, like, uh, if you have the Christian Standard Bible, that translates it this way. For God loved the world in this way. Okay? So it's that kind of so. Right? For God so loved the world. Here is, here is the way in which God loved the world. Okay? So it's telling us something about who God is, that God is a God who loves, and he loves, there's an object of his love. And it's not just, just this little group of people. God loved the world. Again, probably would have been shocking if Nicodemus is still listening in on this, would have been shocking for him to hear that this God, who he thought was the God of his people only, is the God, yes, who made everything, and this God loves the world, okay? And here's the way in which, and we think about the world, um, the world that God is loving is the world who is in rebellion against Him, 
right? This is how we know what love is. God loved us and sent His Son. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. God so loved the world. Those who were in rebellion against Him are those whom God loved. And, and love requires action. Love brings about action. Love is not just words that are spoken. It's not just a feeling that God has in His heart for the world. It's, it's, a, it's a reality that makes Him do something. Right? So, so God so loved the world that He does something. And what is it that He does? It says that He gave His only Son. The way in which God seeks to love and express His love to this world is by giving something of great value to Himself for the good of those that He loves. And so God gives His Son. He gives His only Son. Remember that we talked about this in John chapter 1. There's always been the Trinity. One God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit living together in perfect unity from all of eternity. And in time, at just the right time, Galatians says, God sent His Son to be born of a woman. That's what it's talking about here. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And the result of God sending His Son is this. Everything's going to hinge on Him. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, when I said that, you heard my, like, two-year-old sermon. I said it like I was really happy. I mean, it is happy news. Like, should not perish, is what I said, I think, in that uh, recording, right? But perishing, uh, you know, I always kind of understood that as to be, like, it, it ceased to exist. But I read more about that word. What, what does that word perish mean? Should not perish. Um, and I read about that, and it has more to do with the well-being, I thought of uh, I thought of like food that is perishable. It's not like the food ceases to exist. So it's not like the two options are eternal life with Jesus or ceasing to exist. It's kind of going rotten is what happens to food that perishes. It is no longer well or healthy or good, right? And so perishing is the idea not of extinction but of ruin or loss. And so eternal life is not just the idea of going on forever, but it has something also to do with the quality. Like it is good forever, right? So with well-being, both of these things. So two options, depending on whether you believe in Jesus or not, you will either, well, here, we'll get to the options here in a second, but here it's just you will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. Verse 17, 4, starts out again. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. See, all of the world was under condemnation. Ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden, we were rebelling against the God who made all things and who set the boundaries and the rules and the law. And we as humans rebel against that. And so we are, because God is just and holy, we are under condemnation. Right? But God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. We were already condemned. He sent His Son into the world that we might be saved through Him. Okay? So it's not that He comes to save everybody in the world. It's not universalism being taught here. It's through Him. There's salvation that's going to come through Him. And we're going to see it more clearly that it only comes to some in the verses both before and right after this. 
But God loves the world enough that he sends his son, not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's go on to verse 18, where it makes it really pretty clear. Whoever believes in Jesus is saved, and whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned already. See that there in verse 18? Verse 18 just says, whoever believes in him. So it's not just like, you know, I I believe. Like, believe in what? Believe in who? Believing in Jesus. Okay, not just believing that there's a God who made everything, but believing in the person of Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I love John does this very well, making things very, very clear. Like there's not gray area or what what is exactly he's saying there? Or how many different options are there? Well, there's either believing in Jesus or not believing in Jesus. And those who believe in Jesus are not condemned. And those who do not believe in Jesus are condemned. So it seems pretty clear there in verse 18, what determines which group you're in, condemned or not condemned, is how you respond to Jesus. Do you trust in Jesus or not? So some application of this would be, very simply, believe and be saved, or continue in unbelief and be condemned. You need to hear the gospel. The message of the gospel is not that God came to give you a purpose for your life. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that though we are guilty and condemned as rebellious sinners against our great God, that same God loved us so much that he sent his son that he would become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, as we sang earlier. He loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross that he'd be lifted up that all who believe in him would have eternal life. That's the gospel. And so our choice is, will you continue in unbelief and condemnation? You've sinned against a holy God and God who is just cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And so will you remain under condemnation? If you do not believe in Jesus, you are destined for eternal punishment in hell. This is the reality. This is what condemnation is. not just condemnation from somebody who's going to look down on you. This is condemnation from a holy and just God. And so will you continue there or will you hear the good news and respond with trust in Jesus? Will you believe the good news that God sent his only son, Jesus, in order that everybody who believes in him will be saved? Because there's good news all over Scripture. Romans 8.1. Remember what Romans 8.1 says? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation that we are born into and born under, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is language that gets used all throughout the Old Testament to talk about one who's united to Christ by faith. So, believe in Jesus. We sing about this all the time too, 
right? I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. He took the condemnation that we deserved. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, condemned he stood, right? Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's the kind of thing that we sing. Let's move on to the last verses here, verses 19 to 21. The judgment. Again, a choice. Reject the light and live in darkness or come to the light. Kind of two options and nothing really in between there. So let's look at verses 19 to 21. It begins by saying, and this is the judgment. This is the judgment. Seems to mean the judgment is based on this. Here's what the judgment is based on. Here, here, We've got to keep reading so we know. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. So it's the judgment that Jesus, he is, he, he is the one who, who God has sent as his only son. He's come into the world, but the problem is, and the reason people will experience judgment, is because they love the darkness rather than the light. Turn back just a page or two maybe in your Bible to John chapter 1. Remember when we were being introduced to Jesus here at the beginning of the gospel? Look at verse 9 in John chapter 1. It says this, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The light came and people rejected the light. That's how John introduces Jesus in John chapter 1. And so we hear it again here in John chapter 3. This is the judgment. Jesus is the light who has come into the world, but many people have chosen to live and love the darkness rather than the light. Why do people prefer darkness over light? Keeps going. Because their works were evil. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Can you think of things in your lifetime that you have done that you knew were wrong? You knew that these works would not be pleasing. Maybe it was when you were younger and you knew it would not be pleasing to your parents. And so you sought a way to do that when it was dark, like you didn't want that to be exposed to the light. I tried to think of stories, but I was a perfect child, so I don't have any. Um, just kidding. But, but think about that for a second. Isn't that what we do? If we're doing something that we know to be a deed of evil, we know this to be sinful, we don't want to flaunt that out in front of everybody. Maybe your mom said to you, nothing good happens after dark or after midnight or you know, put some time on it or something like that, right? I thought about that last night. I went for a walk. I don't usually go for a walk. I usually like, I run. That's what I normally do. But it allowed me to think and pray a little bit more as I was walking last night. I went for a walk, and it was after dark. And so I'm walking around Iowa Falls, and I went a long ways. Uh, and so I'm walking uh, knowing it was prom night here in town. And, and there's, just, there's a lot of people out at night, certainly not all of them engaged in deeds of darkness, um, but knowing that that's exactly why some people were out at night. They were, they were waiting all week for this time on Friday and Saturday night when they could go out and just engage in deeds of darkness, and they always wait till nighttime. And so I was thinking about that as, as I was 
reflecting on ready, getting ready to preach this morning and walking around the community. Whoever does wicked things hates the light. They don't come into the light and do them in the light, lest his works should be exposed. But there's a second group, too, and we read about that group in verse 21. Verse 21 says, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There are those who do what is true, and instead of loving the darkness and rejecting the light, they, are, they have no problem coming out into the light. They're not ashamed of their works because the works they've done are works that have been done in God, carried out in God. And so I was trying to, here, here's something that I do as I study the Bible, just a Maybe maybe a, a hint or something that might help you as you study the Bible, because I assume that you, like me, um, sometimes read the Bible and get to the end. And you're like, I don't even know what I just read. Like I just I had a plan. I read some stuff and it just kind of like it goes in and it goes out. And what was that all about? Here's something that's really helped me in Bible study. Um, it's some old, old technology um, that, that some of you know of it's older even than the cassette tape. Uh, this is uh, pen and paper. You ever use that stuff? Like So pen and paper. Like having that next to me as I study the Bible is super helpful. Because in passages that are maybe hard to understand, I can write stuff out and break stuff out in ways that help me to understand it a little better. So I did that with this passage. I'm not going to show you my paper, so it would be hard for you to read. But I was looking at this passage, and it's helpful for me to just take all these words and put them in a couple of columns here. So it begins with, for God so loved the world. And God so loved the world that he did something. What did he do? He gave his only son. And then I have two categories, because John makes it pretty clear throughout this passage, there's two categories. Those who believe in Jesus, and those who don't believe in Jesus. And it's open to anybody, so he uses the word whoever, and he uses the word the world, okay? So whoever believes in Jesus, and whoever does not believe in Jesus. And then I just took words out of the passage. And this is to help me to see it more clearly. On the one side, those who do not believe in Jesus, they will perish. Those who do believe in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. That's verse 16. Those who do not believe in Jesus are condemned already. Those who do believe in Jesus are not condemned. Instead, they're saved. Those who do not believe in Jesus, they do evil works. They do wicked things. Those who do believe in Jesus begin to do that which is true. Those who do not believe in Jesus hate the light. They, do, they don't come to the light, it says. But those who do believe in Jesus come to the light. Those who do not believe in Jesus do not want their works to be exposed. But those who believe in Jesus, they aren't afraid to be exposed. Their works are carried out in God, so they're not afraid to be clearly seen by others. See how that, that's helpful for me. Maybe your mind doesn't think like that. Maybe you need to draw pictures or something. But that's helpful for me to take a passage that's maybe really familiar and well-known, but just to break it down so I can see clearly what is the author saying here. And so that's what I did with this passage, and that helps me to just put it all together in, in one little page. God loved the world enough to do something. And I want to look at some application from these last three verses as we wrap up today. Because here's the reality. A danger for some of you is that you are like me. 
that you've known this passage since you were two. You quoted it with me at the beginning of this message. And maybe you're like I was for a number of years, assuming that I was saved. I assumed that for many years. I knew all of the right answers in Sunday school. I went every week. I tried hard to be a good kid most of the time. But the reality for me was that though I knew John 3.16, I had learned to talk like a Christian when I needed to. But all the while, I loved the deeds of darkness. That there were sections of my life that I preferred not to bring into the light lest they be exposed. I didn't want to be exposed as a sinner. I wanted everybody to think that I was the good kid. That was the reputation I had, and I did what I needed to uphold it. But there were deeds done in darkness, a number of them. The way that I spoke when I was with certain friends, I would never speak that way in my church family, or the, 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 what I talked about, what I thought about, what I watched, all of that kind of stuff. Radically different from the faith, the, the little baby faith that I professed to have in Jesus. There was a lot of my life that I desired to live in the darkness. I didn't want to come out into the light, and that's the way I lived for some time. And that's why I want to pause before we just rush through verses 19 to 21 and address some who might be in that boat. So a question I would ask you is this. Do you prefer that some of your life stay hidden in the darkness? Are there ways in which you are living your life? Are there, are there um, ways in which you're spending your money? Are there ways in which you're spending your time that are secret to other people? Like you don't want other people to know about this. Are you looking at things you don't want others to know about? You erase your browsing history on your phone as you look at things. You don't want everybody to know all this stuff. You prefer to keep part of your life, not exposing it to the light, not coming to Jesus, not taking your sin before Him and repenting, but holding on to it and harboring it, treating it like a pet that just gets to live in the dark that you only let out at certain times and in certain circumstances. You have one way of talking around church people while preferring that the rest of us would never hear the way you talk or what you talk about uh, the rest of the time? Is your fellowship with God being made nearly impossible because you're trying to keep part of your life hidden in the darkness? If there are parts of your life that you like to keep out of sight hidden in the darkness, ask yourself this hard question. Am I one who loves the darkness rather than the light? I think this passage pushes us to ask a hard question like that. Ask yourself this question. Am I more afraid of being exposed as a sinner to other people than I am of being exposed as a fraud before God? Am I more afraid of being exposed as a sinner to other people than I am of being exposed as a fraud before God? If this is the case for you, then I urge you, don't flirt with darkness any longer. Don't attempt to keep one foot in the dark and one foot in the light. Come to the light. Come to Jesus. Because here's what we read in John, 1 John. Okay, So we've, we've been in John. The same John wrote three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1, because we're going to end there today. 
First John chapter 1, well, all of First John has a lot to say about this is what the life of a Christian looks like. If you turn to First John chapter 1, I want us to look at verses 5 through 10. This is where we're going to end today. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, begins this way. This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Okay, so, so God's not confused about whether he's, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And those who are in Christ, here's what he talks about next. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is where I lived for years of my life. Saying I have fellowship with Him, but walking in the darkness. I was lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. And so I urge you to be people who having been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, do not seek to allow part of our life to continue to be lived in darkness, but to be people who regularly and readily come to the light, not deceiving ourselves, not trying to deceive other people, but readily confessing we have sin. And if we confess our sins, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what God's people do. I'm not saying that, so this is the way I once lived, and now I'm living a perfect Christian life. No, there's still sin in me. The difference is now, my desire is not to keep that sin in a hidden, darkened area of my life, but my desire is to bring that sin up before God, confessing it, trusting that He can transform my heart. That He can sanctify me by the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in me now because of my faith in Jesus. We're not perfect ones who never sin, but we are people who do not hold on any longer to pet sins. We are those who were once condemned and would still be under God's just condemnation if it had not been for God's great love in sending His Son so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, that is such good news. Good news to hear once again of your great love for us. That though we have failed, though we have fallen short in so many ways, yet you sent your Son to die for us that by believing in Him we might be saved, that He became sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So God, I pray for any who are in here who are maybe at the spot where I was. I sat in a church every Sunday, a church that faithfully proclaimed the gospel. I knew John 3.16 and preached it to people when I was two years old. Yet as I grew up and as I lived that that day-to-day life, there was the part I lived in front of everybody else, and then there was this part that lived off in the darkness. And God, I thank you for your grace toward me. You came and you gave me a new heart to see my sin as sin and not to any longer be afraid of having my sin exposed, myself exposed as a sinner to other people. But being more afraid of the wrath of God. Seeing myself as one who justly stood under his condemnation. God, I thank you for the work that you did in my heart. I thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit that I might continue to battle against sin. God, I don't know the story of every single person here. But God, I pray that they would be overcome by your great love for us today in such a way that they would see what it is that you have done in sending your son. And that there would be a desire to repent, to turn from sin, to confess sin to you, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for this free gift that can only come by faith in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.